0: Hey there, welcome to Reversing Diabetes with Delane M.D., where women who are confused and worried about their type 2 diabetes come to learn strategies to fix it. I'm your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. Ladies, if you know you are capable of doing badass things at work and for your family, but you're frustrated with why you can't seem to stop eating the chocolate cake, this podcast is for you. Let's talk. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is podcast episode number 223. Lots of new tech things are going on with the podcast, so I feel like things, just my rhythm is a little off, so uh, bear with me. If you ever have any questions, don't ever hesitate to reach out to me at Delaine at DelaineMD. I'm happy to answer any of your questions, but um, today is going to be a podcast as we start off uh, National Diabetes Month. And somebody called me out on Facebook or on Instagram, I think it was, of saying happy National Diabetes Month. And I get that that is kind of an oxymoron and you're not wrong. However, it's really for me a celebration or a um, something to get excited about because really we're going to call awareness, we're going to do education, and we're going to learn how to reverse type 2 diabetes this month. And I've got a number of different events coming up. Um, most of them are on wednesdays in the morning however there is going to be one on um thanksgiving week on friday and it's going to be strictly coaching so if you want to learn more about those things go to my instagram account DelaneyMD md on instagram it's also fed over to facebook so if you want to look at the DelaneyMD md facebook page also you can go there and you can get the information about when these webinars will be and how to get registered There is a lot of new tech that I'm having to implement here with registration forms and back-to-back webinar and uh, registration forms. So there's some lag in that. So again, if you ever want to get you're like, I wanna do this and I don't wanna mess with the tech, girl, I get it. I don't wanna mess with the tech either. Send me an email at delane at delanemd.com and I will get you registered for all of it and you don't have to worry about any of that. So, this podcast today i'm still going to be having the interviews that have already been recorded so every other week there will be an interview it's not an interview it's a coaching call recording but there will be a coaching call posted that will be the podcast for the month of november it will be every other week but this week and the i think it'll be the um week of the uh of how or about thanksgiving probably Will be the other kind of educational thing where we're reviewing the things that National Di- Diabetes Month is really meant to be about, and that's awareness, education, prevention. For the you know medical community, it's going to be treatment and medications. For us, for what we talk about in those podcasts, it's going to be how to reverse it, how to deal with life living in this modern age and not being diabetic how do we do that so um today we're going to talk some about education and awareness okay and then um the next podcast this month where it's me and not one of the coaching calls um we're going to be talking then about more about um prevention and then What they would call managing type 2 diabetes, what I would call reversing type 2 diabetes. So, if you've listened to any of these podcasts, or if you're new to the podcast, please go back. There are many, many other podcast episodes where I'm talking about what causes type 2 diabetes, like the education component about what's happening. For me, it is very, very simple. Type 2 diabetes is the natural expected outcome of human beings eating foods that are not natural to the human being. Biologically, they are not the food that human beings have been biologically developed, biologically set up to manage, okay? The foods that we eat in this modern time are not foods that human beings would have ever come into contact to in a natural environment. 500 years ago, these foods were not available. 200 years ago, many of these foods were not available. Certainly 10,000 years ago, when our biology was being set, however you want to take that happen, I'm not getting into that conversation. 10,000 years ago, what was happening with our biology is the same thing that's happening today in our biology. 10,000 years ago, these foods were not available to us. Okay, they are available to us now. And they do not match our biology. And the natural outcome of this is that we get sick with type 2 diabetes. That's the, bio- that's the educational component the way I see it. Could we talk about the GLUT4 transporter in cells? Yep, we could talk about that. Could we talk about insulin binding to the cells? Yep, we could talk about that. Could we talk about all sorts, like fatty acid metabolism? Maybe I couldn't talk a ton about that. But I do know that that plays a big role in this. There are a lot of other biological systems, but what it comes down to, we can talk about all those different systems, but what it really comes down to is the food that we are eating does not align with our biology, is really what it comes down to, if we wanna get real simple. So the way to, like what causes the type two diabetes is that we are eating these foods and these foods are producing a ton of insulin in our system. And that insulin is causing our cells to be insulin resistant. And when we are insulin resistant, our cells no longer respond to the insulin and it allows our blood sugars to climb quite high. When our sugars get high, that gets dangerous to our cells. That is biology in a nutshell right there that's the di- the biology of diabetes in a nutshell okay i always liken it to a a sound thing because i think we've all experienced when there is sound happening and we are not responsive to it we're resistant like insulin resistance we're sound resistant even when there is noise happening we're just not responsive to the noise so i talk about this um with children like being around you know, 50 kindergartners in a lunchroom versus five kindergartners that you're responsible for. You can be very responsive to the needs of the five, but if you're in that room with 50, there's this low level of noise that you're not responding to the messages coming to you. Now, one child can get your attention in that situation where there's 50 kids in a lunchroom, but they have to yell louder than the underlying, the baseline level of noise to get your attention and then you can respond to them. But what that yelling louder does is raise that baseline level of noise, okay? The answer to having 50 kids in a room, like for you to start being responsive to every noise, the answer is that you send 45 of those kids away to different classrooms and then you're back being responsible for just five of them. And you can be very responsive to even the most subtle of noises, subtle of messages coming from those five kids, okay? It's the same thing with insulin. When you have a level of insulin in your system all the time, your cells become deaf to it. They stop responding. We call it insulin resistance. They're resistant. Your cells are resistant to the message that insulin is trying to give them because there's always there and they can't possibly, your cells can't possibly make heads or tails of it when there's this low level of noise always happening or low level of insulin always in your system. Now, can your cells be responsive by your pancreas spitting out a ton of insulin to overcome that low level, get louder, yell above it? Absolutely, and that's what happens for years. Your pancreas just gives a little more insulin out so that your cells hear that message and they start to respond. And that causes the cells to open up and bring glucose inside, burn it off as energy. That lowers the glucose level outside of the cell and there are no problems, except that you have all this insulin in your system. And over time, you yell louder, but that just raises that baseline level and you yell louder next time and it raises the baseline level. And over time, you ratchet up until there is a ton of insulin in your system your cells aren't responding to it, and your pancreas can't keep up by spitting out more. That's when we start to see the blood sugars start to climb up, okay? That's what happens in our system. The answer, again, is not to add more noise, right? I always say, the answer to a room full of kindergartners is not to turn on a radio and add more noise to the mix. The answer to a room full of kindergartners is that you have people, either their parents or other teachers or other humans come and be responsible for two or three or five of them in their presence, and then you're only responsible for the five in your presence, and you can be very, very responsive to them. The answer is never adding more noise. The answer to having too much insulin in your system is never adding more insulin, ever. That is never the right answer. It will only make the resistance worse over time, okay? And I know that the medical community, my colleagues as physicians, that is one of their primary ways of treating with medication type 2 diabetes. I understand that. And what I'm here to offer you is that they are starting to realize that it's a problem and that's not the way to do it anymore. We have to stimulate insulin sensitivity we have to fix the cells resistance to the insulin that's kind of insulin sensitivity is the opposite of insulin resistance okay so when you hear people talk about we need to be more insulin sensitive it's the fix to the insulin resistance and that's what they're trying to develop and that's great and grand for me i help you learn and start to implement and execute plans to create insulin sensitivity, to reverse insulin resistance and not do it with men's. That's what I help you do. All right. That's what I teach women to do. And it's entirely possible. Remember, if the food in the modern age is creating this insulin resistance, the state of type 2 diabetes, if that's what's creating it, the fix is to change that food. Go back to eating the food that aligns with our biology. And so the rule of thumb that i give women that i work with and the rule of thumb that if i'm talking to a patient and i'm telling them you know hey you've got this diabetes thing going on it's totally fixable here's what you need to do the rule of thumb that i give everybody is look at the food that you are eating was it available to you ten thousand years ago if the answer is yes it's probably okay if the answer was no You need to ask yourself the next question. Does this cause type 2 diabetes? And if the answer is yes, that food needs to be removed from your life. Maybe forever, but certainly for a while. And when I say a while, I mean three to six months, okay? You need to be willing to let go of that food, to learn how to live your life in a way that you love, that's incredible and meaningful and robust and doesn't involve that food. So great example. My coffee cup, my little Volkswagen bus coffee mug. I love this little mug so much. My coffee cup is full of coffee. Was there coffee 10,000 years ago? I mean, like if you got really ambitious, you could have probably figured it out. Would they? Would human beings, the human animal have just stumbled across a spring of coffee, like a well of coffee? No, absolutely not. This was not available 10,000 years ago. So that's the first question. Is this what causes type 2 diabetes? No. One cup of coffee is never going to be what causes type 2 diabetes. It is not a main player in type 2 diabetes. So, when we that is the, the gates, the filter you need to pass, the things that you are putting through your mouth, into your mouth through, okay? Is this food something that humans would have been av- had available 10,000 years ago? If the answer is yes, you're great. Carrots never cause diabetes. Bananas and apples never cause diabetes. Um, nuts never cause type two diabetes. you know um, turnips, heads of lettuce, leaves, berries these are not the causes of type two diabetes, even meat and chicken and fish these are not the things that cause type two diabetes period end of sentence It's really that simple now, if you're looking at a cup of coffee, a cup of tea um If you're looking at a Pop Tart, not available 10,000 years ago, are these the foods that are causing type 2 diabetes? If the answer is yeah, these are problem foods, you need to not eat those foods. Pretty straightforward. Were these foods available 10,000 years ago? The answer is yes, they're probably fine. If they weren't available 10,000 years ago, are these foods going to cause me to be sick with type 2 diabetes? If the answer is yes, you need to not eat those foods. Period. End of sentence. Okay. So that is, educa- that's education. That's Delane MD education at its limits, right? It's that simple. Like it doesn't need to be more difficult. For some people, for a small percentage of women, yes, there are other things that we have to figure out. But for most women, we have to stop eating these foods, really is what it comes down to. And we have to stop eating them for long enough for our body to heal up, okay? That's what has to happen. And you can never go back to eating them in a way that created type 2 diabetes in your body because if you do, you're gonna get sick again. That's just how it goes. Again, this is not a genetic thing. You are not genetically predispositioned to have this disease. This disease that nine out of 10 of Americans are on the path or have, okay? That is not how we became the dominant species on the planet by nine out of 10 of us getting sick with this. This is not the way it is. You are not genetically predispositioned to become sick with this, okay? What we get from our families is our love for crappy foods. So if our mom has diabetes and we have diabetes, it is not because it's genetically passed down, it's because we learned how to eat from our mothers. And this is a disease of the foods that we are putting in our mouth. This is a disease of the foods that we eat not being matched to our biology. They do not line up with our biology. Any human being that eats Pop-Tarts long enough will develop high insulin levels, insulin resistance, and type 2 diabetes, period, end of sentence, because our human biology does not match Pop-Tarts. That's how simple it is. Chocolate, pizza, milkshakes, anything from McDonald's. All of these foods, they just don't match our biology, okay? Nothing's broken about you. It's just the way these foods are. So that's the education component. Delane MD Education 101, boom, that's how it is. Or that's what causes, that's the education, why we get diabetic. So the other part that I wanna talk about today is kind of the awareness. Like, how do we build awareness? So a couple of things, again, the study that I just quoted or the studies that I just quoted, one was put out in 2019 by the University of North Carolina, and it showed that 87%, when it looked at this huge number, hundreds of thousands of charts, it looked at. And when it looked at them, if I remember, I always get the number on that, right? But it looked at a huge amount of charts. And when that study looked at those charts and looked at markers for insulin resistance and metabolic health, okay? Whenever you're hearing somebody talk about metabolic health, they are talking about insulin resistance. Recognizing that insulin resistance is the tree trunk. It is the root cause for many other diseases, many diseases, type two diabetes, yep. Pre-diabetes, yep. Somebody mentioned I heard him talking about pre-pre-diabetes. I don't even know what the qualifiers are for pre-pre-diabetes, but insulin resistance is the cause of that. Polycystic ovarian syndrome, yep. Insulin resistance is the cause of polycystic ovarian syndrome. For um, high cholesterol, elevated LDLs, we know that insulin resistant humans do not manage their cholesterol normally. It is a player in high cholesterol. It is a player in hypertension. It is a player, if not the cause of dementia. It is the cause of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. High insulin levels, Have a role or are the cause in all of these diseases. Okay. These studies, this one in 2019 at the University of North Carolina and the one that was done two years later, these studies looked at markers, five markers for metabolic health. And what they found in the study in 2019 was that 87% of the charts that they looked at tested positive, had markers that were positive for one of these five markers. So one of them were positive and they called that metabolically diseased. So 87% of the charts that they looked at had evidence for metabolic disease. Okay. So that was a study in 2019. They repeated the study and published it in 2021. That study showed that 93% of the charts that they looked at had evidence for metabolic disease. So when we talk about awareness for type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia and metabolic disease, because these are terms that are on a spectrum, right, that are all related. When we look at the medical literature out there and we're talking about awareness, nine out of 10 of Americans need to be aware of this because they're likely on the spectrum of metabolic disease. Nine out of 10 of us, one out of 10 of us are not diseased. So, what do your labs say? Is really the question. What do your numbers say? Do you have any of these numbers that are evidence of type 2 diabetes? Different people look at different numbers. The numbers that I look at, that I, you know, when my clients go and get labs done and they're like, what should I get done? The things that I tell them to look at, one, an insulin level. Most doctors will look at you like, I don't know. I think that this is not happening as much. I think that we are moving forward and there has been progress in this arena. But five years ago, had you asked a doctor to run an insulin level, they would have looked at you like you had three heads. Like you were crazy. What are you talking about? We're not running an insulin level. I don't even know that insurance would pay for an insulin level. Those are the things that they would tell you. And they tell you this because they didn't know what to do with an insulin result. Like they didn't know what the number means. The only way we were taught in medical school, at least when I was going, that if you had an insulin level that was elevated, you either had a tumor in your gut or if you had a non-existent insulin level, you had type one diabetes. That's what we were taught. There's so much more information in that number, okay? Also, they don't know what to do with it. Because most labs mark an insulin level of less than 15 to 18 as normal. And so they're like, oh, your numbers are normal. No, what the studies show is that number really actually needs to be below seven to eight. Anything above seven or eight is actually probably evidence of insulin resistance in most humans. Okay. So, an insulin level that is the most important number that I. Feel is out there. There are other numbers. There are there are other tests that you can do that are more sensitive and specific to picking up insulin resistance. But if you're going to get a one off test, you want a fasting serum insulin level. So that's the first thing. The second thing, of course, an A1C. Although it's not perfect, there's a lot of ways that that goes wrong. But that's another great number to look at. Again, the labs at the doctor's office are going to get off your back when you are 5.6 or less they're gonna be like, whoop, strong work, you're good. What we know is that you have still a high risk of having insulin resistance if you have an A1C of 5.3 or higher, right? So I always tell women, you're gonna to wanna to be 5.4 or less, like probably 5.2 is really where you need to be shooting for, but not 5.6 and not 5.7. That's not a good enough, quote unquote, A1C. There is still evidence of insulin resistance. Remember, why are these numbers set? Because the labs and the doctors and the medical system in America just want to normalize your blood sugars because they think that that's the only problem. But what we are seeing in the medical literature is that insulin in your system, having too much insulin and being insulin resistance or resistant is a problem in and of itself, okay? And we're needing to fix that. The blood sugars are just a symptom of a bigger problem, okay? So um, an A1C. And again, 5.2 or lower is probably ideal, okay? Some women are like, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna get there because they work so hard because their doctor's like, if you can just get below seven, we don't have to do more meds. If you can just get below 6.4, you're now in the pre-diabetic range and that's so much better. If you can just get below 5.6, you're gonna be great. You don't even have diabetes then. That's what they've heard. And so they've been doing just what they the bare minimum to get them there. What I want to offer you again, if you eat your food that aligns with your biology, if you pass the food that you put into your mouth through two filters, was this available 10,000 years ago? And if it wasn't available, is it what's causing my type 2 diabetes? If you pass your food through those two filters, it is very, very easy to get your A1C to 5.2 and less. Very, very easy. Okay. So the insulin, the fasting serum insulin level, an A1C, a hemoglobin A1C, Triglycerides are another one you're going to want to look at, should really be definitely under 150, probably under 100. The exact number on that, I don't have as much information. Like, I don't know that number. What I know is that my number has been below 50 for years. And when I have, I'm working with a client and their insulin drops to the normal range, their fasting blood sugars are dropping to the normal range, their A1C is dropping to the normal range, that triglyceride level on their cholesterol panel is easily below 75 without any problem. The LDL on there also should be below 100, right? If you are diabetic, they're going to want you below 70. Mine are not below 70. The reason they want you below 70 if you're a diabetic is because you already with diabetes have a risk for a stroke and they want to lower that other risk of having bad cholesterol in your system lower so that we can decrease your stroke risk. It's not because an LDL of 75 or 80 or even 90 is a bad quote unquote number. It's that they're trying to re- decrease your risk of stroke. What we're realizing is it's not the cholesterol, it's the inflammation, it's all of these other things that really are putting you at a higher risk for a stroke. It's not necessarily the LDL. So there's some shifting in what our goals are for an LDL in general, but certainly needs to be you know, you're going to shoot for that LDL being less than 130, less than 100 usually easy to get there. There are some other things that go into that. That one sometimes gets hard to get into range. Um, LDL, so triglycerides, LDL, fasting insulin level, hemoglobin A1C level, L, um, ALT, which is a liver enzyme. Again, your lab is going to report it out as being normal if it's less than 30. What we know is it probably needs to be less than 17 or 18 in order for you to have a great representation or have a representation of really good metabolic health. That is a liver enzyme that goes up when there's insulin resistance in the liver. So we know that. And lots of times doctors won't even mention it or they'll tell you, oh, your liver enzymes are high. We're gonna watch them. The reason that they tell you this is because we don't have a med to treat it. Like they have nothing to prescribe you. So they're like, oh, we're just gonna watch this. And maybe they'll do an ultrasound. And that ultrasound will show that you have steatosis or fatty liver, right? That is evidence of insulin resistance in your liver, represented in the labs by an elevated ALT, represented on imaging with these findings, fatty liver infiltration, okay? That is insulin resistance. Blood pressure, we want it lower, right? Like 130s, 140s, depending on which guideline you're looking at for that top number. That again, there is evidence that insulin resistance Impacts your body's ability to normalize your blood pressure. Okay. So you're going to want that low. And if it's not low, we know there's evidence of metabolic disease. Now, do you want it 60 over something? Not that low. That's a little too low, but certainly probably 110s, 120s is probably where you want to be on a regular basis. Okay. So blood pressure, insulin level, A1C, ALT, triglycerides, LDL, there's a number of different ways. Also, measuring the circumference of the waist. That's another um, great measurement of metabolic health. Okay, there's a number of different ways. Different studies take different um, aspects and look at them. Okay, they're not all looking at all of these different ways. But these are the things that you can do or find in collaboration with your physician to see if you have metabolic disease, to see if you have evidence of metabolic disease, to see if you have evidence of insulin resistance because this is gonna gain some awareness so that you can start realizing, oh, I'm on that path, I need to change something. People will tell me all the time, but I see so-and-so and and they're eating Pop-Tarts all the time and they don't have a problem. And my answer to them is Pop-Tarts are never healthy. Like that's, it's kinda like one cigarette is never healthy. Maybe they've smoked cigarettes and they haven't developed COPD or lung cancer yet, but it doesn't make the cigarettes healthy, right? Eating the Pop-Tarts, Maybe they're eating the Pop-Tarts and they haven't developed the insulin resistance or the diabetes yet, or, you know, an outcome of the insulin resistance that they see. Maybe that hasn't happened, but it doesn't make the Pop-Tart healthy, okay? These numbers, gaining awareness of what you can look at to determine whether you have metabolic health or whether you're on the path for type 2 diabetes or whether maybe you're already in that pre-diabetic range, these are the things that you can look at, these numbers that I just listed out. A lot of those you need to go to your doctor or you need to go to a lab. You can go to a reference lab. So that's a place like, um, and I'm not affiliated with any of these places, but um, Quest Laboratory um, Lab Core, I think is one of them. You can find what's called a reference lab in your area and you can say, hey, I want to get these labs drawn. And some of them, may they call it uh, client-directed ordering is what they call it, at least at the one I do, client-directed ordering some labs so sometimes i've had a hard time getting an insulin level and i've totally tried to pull the card but i am a doctor can i order it on myself and they're like no you can't so um some of them won't let you do some things like that but the alt comes on a comprehensive metabolic panel and almost always you can get a client directed like level of that you can get your cbc done And that helps to make sure your hemoglobin level is normal. You can get a hemoglobin A1C run. You can get a fasting lipid panel run. You can get all of those. Your fasting lipid panel is going to give you your LDL and your triglycerides. Your A1C is going to give your A1C rating. Your chemistry panel, that comprehensive metabolic panel, is going to give you your ALT to look at. So a lot of these numbers you can get on your own. You don't need your doctor to give it to you. And if you get to a a reference lab that will let you just order an insulin level, it's just order the insulin level. And you get to know what the number is. You don't have to have your doctor order it because they don't know what to do with it, right? Because they're going to give you pushback because they don't know what to do with that number, okay? So um, those are things that you can do with your doctor's help, with a lab's help. Things you can do at home that you don't even need anybody helping you with. Get a hema, um not a hemocult, a uh, glucometer, a blood sugar machine. In my state, every pharmacy has, if you are a like, Credentialed pharmacy in the state, you have to have a setup for a glucometer, a blood sugar testing machine that has to be less than 20 bucks. Every pharmacy in the state by law has to have that. And I imagine, you know, I live in Kansas, and although I love being a Kansas kid, we are not the most progressive state in the world. So I imagine many other states have very similar laws to have affordable health care, really is what it comes down to. So, um, Go to your pharmacy and see. My um, warning to you on that is be aware. The, firm, or the, the blood sugar, the glucometer manufacturer is going to make money off of the replacement strips. The little strips that you put into the machine that you put your blood on and it gives you a reading. That's where they're going to make their money. So if your glucometer is $17.99, but the replacement strips every month are $30. It may be wiser to get a $23 glucometer that has replacement strips that are $23 or $20 a month instead of $30 a month. So be aware of that. My little 10 cents to you, my little tidbit of help for you. But what you look for on that fasting blood sugar is a blood sugar every morning when you wake up and taking it at the same time every morning shortly after you get out of bed. You want that blood sugar to be like 80 to 95. That's really where you want it to be. Some women do a run a little higher and many of my clients, if they're listening, they're like cringing because maybe they run at 103 or maybe they run at 98 and they really had to put a lot of time into getting it lower. And that is definitely a reality that some women face. Some women never get that, right? So if you're fasting, blood sugar is running 103 consistently, but your insulin level is six and your A1C, your hemoglobin A1C is 5.3, and your LDLs are 80, and your triglycerides are 80, and your blood pressure is 115 over 90, or 115 over 60, or whatever it is. If all of these other numbers look really good, but that fasting blood sugar doesn't drop down, that's fine. But this is a kind of a, it's not a very sophisticated way, but it is available, And it is a day-to-day guide that you can get. You can't be running your insulin level every morning at the lab. You can't be running your A1C every morning at the lab. Getting one of those glucometers, those finger, we call it a prick machine. Getting one of them and testing your fasting number every day is a way to give you some guidance as to what you're doing and if it's working, okay? So um, a a glucometer, a prick machine, a finger stick machine, an AccuCheck is sometimes what they're called. Those are things that you can test at home to get. And it's really, I mean, like it's a $20 investment to see if your fasting blood sugars are consistently running at 115, okay, you probably have pre-diabetes at the very least. Good to know. Like now you get to start implementing. That's what this is about, right? Gaining awareness, right? Like this podcast is about kind of educating about what causes type 2 diabetes and how do we get some awareness whether we're in that group. This $20 test that you can get at any Walgreens at any pharmacy, like you can go and check this and you can check it every day for a few days and you can see, oh, I'm in, I'm definitely in that range. This is an issue because remember nine out of 10 of Americans can be in that range. Like that could be the evidence that you're seeing of metabolic disease. Okay. Um, lastly, a, a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. I have one on right now. I just put it on this morning. I wear it intermittently, I don't wear it all the time, but it's on for two weeks and then it gives me two weeks of continuous blood sugar readings so I can see what's happening, okay? Um, That is a really helpful, helpful uh, tool. These are harder to get a hold of. You have to have a prescription. You have to get a provider to prescribe it to you. I went through an online company where I had a meeting with a nurse practitioner online and they wrote the prescription. Um, My insurance does not cover it. I pay for it out of pocket. So if you want insurance to cover it, there may be some more um, requirements there, okay? So uh, recognize that. But continuous glucose monitoring is another way and probably the most um, sophisticated way to get information about what's causing blood sugars to go up and kind of where you're at on a regular level, like what foods are okay for you. So that seems like a lot of information. I think, I feel like there was a lot of, me giving information out in this podcast versus talking about the things that are I find more exciting and more fun the you know reason that we do self betraying behaviors or self sabotaging behaviors and the thoughts that we have about the food that is way more fun for me as far as I'm concerned to talk about than talking about insulin and triglycerides and l d l and a one c's and all of those things, but That's what this month is really about. It's really about getting the basics of what type 2 diabetes is and arming people with this information so that they can go out and do life differently so they don't have to be diabetic. That is really what this month is about. And that is what this podcast is about. So I think that's enough for today. There will be a podcast next week that is a um, coaching call. So a recorded coaching call with a listener who is gracious enough to come on and be very vulnerable and share their experience and get some coaching help so that everybody can see what that's about and how you can get help with that if you are interested in setting up a reverse your diabetes assessment call don't hesitate to reach out to me again send me a message delane at delanemd.com you can also go through the calendly link you can find that link on any of my social media you can find it there's a link tree and a link tree is basically a drop down list of different links that i have available And they're all things that are helpful. There's a 14 day, 14 days to better blood sugar guide. That's uh, a link in my link tree. There's, you know, the podcast, there's YouTube. There's all sorts of things that are available on that link tree, but they are things that are meant to help you learn how to live a life that's diabetes free. So check that out. Holler at me with any questions and I'll be back next week. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.